0: I'm going to read to you from Acts eight again this morning twenty six to forty. that's the verses. I'm reading from the English standard Version so if you've been around church for any length of time, it's a well-known passage of scripture. It's about Philip who's just been at a place where there is revival taking place. There is something happening, and all of a sudden, there's a change that comes. It says this Now, an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch of a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all he was in charge of all her treasure. He' had come to Jerusalem to worship, and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah, and the spirit said to Philip, "Go over and join this chariot." about Jesus and beginning with this scripture he told him the good news about Jesus and as they were going along the road they came to some water and the eunuch said see here is water what prevents me from being baptized and he commanded the chariot to stop and they both went down into the water Philip and the eunuch and he baptized him And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and he passed through, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea." As we've been traveling through the Acts of the Apostles, we've seen many people added to the church. Most of those additions to the church came in quite much larger gatherings than the one that um, Philip finds himself on this day. In fact, Philip has been in Samaria. he has been in the center of a revival. Things were happening, things. We're really working, and when, as an individual, just as a human being, when things are really, really going well, it's not the sort of place then you decide that you want to go away from, because there is something um, of a buzz about it. And yet, as we read in this scripture, the angel of the Lord comes to him. Now, this might seem a strange thing to say, you know, an angel turning up. We know that Mary was uh, confronted by an angel and told quite clearly that she was going to be with child. And uh, I've never, ever personally met an angel you know, I might have because the Bible says that you can meet angels unawares doesn 't it um, i 've met people I thought were angels, you know nice people, but um whether they were real angels i didn 't see any wings flapping or anything like that, or they didn 't have a harp under their arm or anything like that. But an angel turns up and he gives direction to Philip in the midst of this revival which is taking place in the midst of a time where Alternative spirituality is being deeply challenged and uprooted. The angel comes and asks Philip to move on. Now, Philip is directed to go down. Can you put the um, picture up? Is it up behind me? To go down to the road that runs from Jerusalem to Gaza. And this is a picture of that road or part of that road. And so you can see it's quite a... It is a desert place. It is a barren place. And, um, and yet... Yet... Stay. And yet... Um, Philip is directed to go here he's not told who he's going to meet he's not really told why he was going but the angel said go to this road and he went I'm interested in the fact that Luke actually makes mention and I don't think Luke wastes his words he actually emphasized that this is a desert place So he's going from a city where there are loads of people to a desert place where there is relatively nothing. What is the likelihood of him coming across somebody on this road? Now I know it was a road that passed and went uh, through Gaza and went on down into Egypt, but the reality is... If I was in a place where everything was working, I would be asking myself some questions if an angel came along and said, go to somewhere where in my mind's eye there would be nobody at all. And yet Philip is obedient to what he is asked and he goes. And while he's there, he comes across this guy, this Ethiopian eunuch, this high court official um, he he comes across him riding in a chariot. He's been to Jerusalem to worship. And so he has some, as far as we can see, he has some level of spirituality. He has gone to the place in Jerusalem, the temple, to worship. And uh, here he is. He's on his way home again. And he is simply reading Scripture. It was... A common thing in those days that as people read, they read out loud. So he is reading scripture out loud. And I can imagine as this chariot approaches, that we notice that again there is some divine direction here. The Holy Spirit now says to Philip, Go up to that chariot. Go on, go up to that chariot. One man. In a chariot, reading scripture out loud, and Philip in the middle of a desert road meets him. A divine appointment, a God given moment where God was going to do something. And he was going to speak to a single solitary individual and a high-ranking individual. Maybe this was a moment where the gospel was going to be going beyond Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria and was moving out to the uttermost parts of the earth through this one encounter. But if Philip had said to himself, no, it's going well here. I like what's happening here. I'm not going anywhere. Well, lo and behold, it might have been missed. We need to be ready for God to speak to us, to tell us to go and speak to others. Next time you find yourself in a situation where If you're traveling, for instance, and things aren't going your way and you have been delayed, I would normally get frustrated and uptight about the fact that that was not happening. But maybe, just maybe, in that moment, there is a divine appointment for you. Maybe. Maybe the next time you try and catch the bus and you just miss it, Maybe there's a divine appointment for you. And somehow God is orchestrating something for the extension of his kingdom. It is a privilege for us to share the gospel. An absolute privilege. And not only is it a privilege, but scripture says this in um, Romans 10 15 as it is written how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace and who bring glad tidings of good things he's quoting from the book of Isaiah in uh, 52 verse 7 how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news who proclaims peace, who brings glad tidings of good things, who proclaims salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. Good news. The picture is one of a herald and this is what we see Philip doing here on this desert road he is becoming a herald one who is going to proclaim the good news the good news of the kingdom of god the good news that jesus the messiah had come he had gone to the cross but he had even been buried in a tomb but thanks be to God and because of the power of God, God raised him. The Father raised him from the dead and he broke the power of sin because death is the power of sin and he broke the power of sin and he defeated death. He, he, he'd been to Hades and liberated captives and therefore he shares with him the good news and it says he begins with the scripture that he is reading. But it is good news. Now I wonder, how do you share the good news? I want to ask you that. Not that I'm looking for a response because you might be embarrassed to respond, but how do you share the good news? Is it with exuberance? Is it with just listing a load of scriptures? Because that don't seem... The exuberance bit seems like, well, there might be some good news here, but the, just listing a load of scriptures to someone for me, just doesn't seem to cut it. For those of us who aren't married, do you remember when you fell in love? Maybe some of you have never been in love. But do you remember when you fell in love? You couldn't stop talking about the other person. When Liz met me, this is from her lips, not mine. She said when she first met me, which is a story in of itself, and I shan't bore you with it right now, but when she first met me, she went home to her mother and told her how nice I was. That was on our first meeting. We had a bit of this in, for a few, few whiles, till she brought me up short and I started behaving myself. But the reality was she went and shared that she had met someone who was nice. You know, I hate that word, nice. I was attractive. Yeah, I was handsome. She was in love, you know. Probably didn't say that to her mum. Her mum wouldn't. Anyway... But you share good news, don't you? When you have a baby, you don't keep it quiet. You announce it. You know, you tell everybody, oh, look, look, see a new father getting out the pictures all the time. Look, this is Reef. This is Reef here. You know? Or whatever it happens to be. You know, you want to talk about it. You want to announce it. You're excited about it. And when we share the good news with people, it should have that same... Energy about it. It shouldn't be just, oh, John 3:16 says the words are fantastic, but we've got to match it with our exuberance and excitement about what we have experienced. Otherwise, I'm just quoting quoting words, and there's no corresponding joy in my life. So why is there gonna be any joy in their life if they decide that yeah, I'm gonna follow Jesus? good news needs to be announced. It is announced. It, the word, that the proclamation here is like when they proclaimed that the children of Israel were free from Babylon. I am sure they didn't, the guy who came to herald that didn't just go, oh, by the way, they got out. I expect he, he ran, he was partially out of breath, and when he got back to Jerusalem, he said, they're free! They are free. He would have been exuberant. It would have gone round the city like wildfire. Like wildfire. They're free. The gospel is about us becoming free. Free. And we need to make proclamation. So... The only other illustration I had there, but there's nobody in who took exams, but our kids, when they take their exams, and they do either as well as they thought they should or better, they can't wait to tell their friends and their parents about what they have done. So there is a proclamation that happens here. And instead of being to a crowd, it is to a single individual. Next week, we're going to see another single individual. Jason is going to preach next Sunday, and he's going to be preaching on the conversion of Saul, who became poor. And the reality is, it's another single encounter And a single encounter which has ramifications. And I believe that this encounter with the Ethiopian eunuch had ramifications. And there are some lessons in here for us. Firstly, it was in a desert place. The place where you would least expect something to happen. And yet it became the place where something happened. You might be at work and you might be looking around you and thinking, this is the last place. How would I ever share Jesus with anybody here? It's just never going to happen. It's never going to work. It can happen in the least place. Maybe your family in the past has demonstrated that they're un- they just just—they're not interested. I don't want to hear about this anymore. Some people in their families have actually had family members disown them because of that whole issue about sharing Jesus, because maybe they became excited and started to talk about Jesus all the time. It seems to be the least place, and yet I want to tell you, even in the least place, in the barren place, in the places that you will never expect to see anything, God can and does move. And so this is a desert place that's a lesson for us to learn never ever think it will never happen here it will never happen in my family my brother who believes in black holes and aliens and all sorts of things rather than creation and the fact that there's a god in fact he expends a lot of his energy in his life to disprove the existence of god He asks you those questions, it doesn't matter how you answer them, you know that it's a negative result. The reality for me is, even in those dry places where you can't see how God will move, he can move. Secondly, God is interested in everyone. He is interested. In scripture it says about Uh, in Deuteronomy 23:1, no one who has been emasculated a eunuch is someone who has either been cut or crushed and it says no one who has been emasculated by crushing or cutting may enter the assembly of the Lord in other words he was outside the assembly of God And yet, later on in Isaiah, it says, Do not let the son of the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord speak, saying, The Lord has utterly separated me from his people. Nor let the eunuch say, Here I am a dry tree. For thus says the Lord, To the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths and choose what pleases me and hold fast to my covenant, even to them I will give in my house. Give him in, in my house and within my walls a place and a name. you know we look at people sometimes and we want to separate ourselves from people because somehow we somehow think their unholiness is worse than another person 's unholiness. If somebody is in a nice is, is middle class nice, white, married, or whatever it happens to be, you know. And uh, they, they've got 2.4 children. I've never seen the 0.4 of a child, but 2.4 children and all the rest of it. The reality is that they're, they're, they're okay. They, they might need God's salvation, but they're okay. But then there are a whole host of people who we might put on the other side of the line. I don't want to be shocking, but the paedophile, the murderer the wife beater. We could name more other groups that so often as church we exclude. When I was thinking about that this week, I was actually in the shower. We'll hold it there, no pictures. All right. I was reminded of this hymn, To God be the glory great things he hath done. So loved he the world that he gave us his son who yielded his life an atonement for sin and opened the life gates that all may go in. O oh, perfect redemption, the purchase of blood to every believer the promised of God. Now hear these words. The vilest offender who truly believes that moment from Jesus a receives. There is no one who falls outside the economy of God. God doesn't base his economy and who he wants in his kingdom on the basis of who we feel comfortable with. He loves the prostitute, the sinner. He loves those who are gay. He loves those who our murderers. He loves the paedophile. He never excuses their actions. Never. But he loves them. He wants all people to be saved. And therefore, we need to recognise there is no one who falls outside the economy of God. We. To see people made in the image of God, even when that image is fallen. And so that's a lesson we need to learn. We need to know the gospel is another thing. Ethiopian asks him who is this that is being spoken about we might recognize you might remember that in one of the gospels it says that Jesus stood before Pilate and he was silent as a lamb before his shearer is silent like a sheep he was led to the slaughter and like a lamb before its shearer is silent so he opens not his mouth here was the hook for Philip to begin to explain the gospel. We need to make ourselves aware, not become awkward, because we can become awkward looking for the hook to get a, how am I going to get a share in here? (laughs) Right. Let it come up naturally. Just pray. When you meet people, Lord, if there's an opportunity, just let me see it. And as I see it, I will respond. And go, look for that moment, and then begin to share. You might remember, this reminds me a little bit of the road to Emmaus after Jesus has been crucified and buried, and those two men are walking back to Emmaus, and they are talking with one another. And I am sure they're dejected and down. In fact, I wouldn't have been surprised if some of the conversation went like this. Well, what was all that about then? What was all that about? And then this guy sidles up alongside them and begins to talk to them. And they act surprised that this guy doesn't know what's been going on. And so they start, don't you know what's happened? This has happened. And then Jesus begins to share the gospel, the good news with them. Not that they needed salvation, but to show them that this needed to happen. And then it was as he sat at a table and he broke bread that they recognized who he was, and then he was gone. Do you know, very often it will be a moment, a eureka-type moment, that happens for someone a few years ago in my previous church I got up one morning and we had this couple come into the church she was a proclaimed, self-proclaimed atheist she told me her husband was a Christian but she would come with her husband faithfully every week but whenever you got into a conversation she would just tell me she was an atheist And so I said, ah, well, you know, God's big enough to make an answer for you. And she would just say, well, you've got to remember, I've taught, I spent uh, weeks and weeks going and meeting this minister and we chatted, but I, I didn't give my life to Christ. I come for my husband. And I said, that's okay. Anyway, I faithfully preached week on, week on, week on. And one morning I felt at the end of the meeting I wanted to give people an opportunity to come to Jesus. And as I looked around the room, we didn't have any visitors in. But when I feel that constrained, because remember this Ethiopian eunuch had been to Jerusalem to worship and yet he has a fresh encounter with the living God which leads to baptism here baptism in water, the reality is you don't know really. It's not my position to judge whether someone's in or out. That's God's role. And therefore, how do I not know sometimes? I, I might see people week after week after week. They might even know the language. But the reality is they have never had an experience and an encounter with God. A bit like John Wesley when he said he felt his heart strangely warmed he was a minister he'd been preaching for years and yet on that day he felt his heart strangely warmed and his life was turned upside down so i gave the altar call type thing not for people to come out but if you want to give your life to christ and i described it like this i said you know what Sometimes we're traveling along in life. It's a bit like driving a car. I can see through the windshield, but it's not until I look into the rear view mirror and look out the back that I I can see where I've come from. I said, sometimes it's like that about us coming to Jesus. We've been searching and looking ahead and trying to find our way but then all of a sudden, we look back at, and look at the path that we've been coming on, and all of a sudden, everything begins to fall into place. It's like that domino effect. You see what, where it all began, and as you knock the domino, you see that it's just running up, running up, running up. And I said, so if you want to give your yes to Jesus this morning, and say, yes, I want to accept you as my king. Yes, I want you to forgive me for going my own way and doing my own thing and discounting you altogether. If you want to give your yes to Jesus this morning, you can do it right where you are. And I did the normal sort of stuff, you know. I led people, I gave them an opportunity in their head to respond to and pray a prayer that I was praying. And that was it. I didn't on that morning even ask come and see me afterwards if you prayed that prayer and after I closed the meeting I turned walked to the window and was gathering my stuff together and there was a tap on my shoulder and I turned round and there was this lady the atheist beaming ear to ear and she said I gave my yes to Jesus today. That was a special moment. That is a moment to rejoice when someone gives their yes to Jesus. There's rejoicing, it says, in heaven when someone responds to the good news. And finally, Philip finds himself from here. He baptizes this guy don't want to go into baptism right now coming up out of the water, I I often wonder, I often think to myself the Bible leaves some gaping holes I'd have loved to have known what was on the Ethiopian's mind seriously I would when he comes up out of the water and all of a sudden Philip's gone (laughs) I would have been like Where is he <laughs> what was that all about I'd have had more questions than I knew what to do with in fact I wouldn't have read scripture the rest of the way I'd have spent the rest of my time thinking was that real you know and I didn't even have a mate that I could turn around to and say did you see him I was on my own but it doesn't say that this is what it says and when they came up out of the water the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away and the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. He had met the living God. He'd moved from being a religious worshipper to being a real worshipper, full of joy, full of joy. The final lesson is, whenever we have opportunity to share about Jesus, we should take it. Whether there's a group whether it's an individual, whether it's a couple, we should take the opportunity. Romans 10, 14 and 15. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear, it says without a preacher, but the word is actually Santos." Which means someone who tells, someone who proclaims. It's not a preacher like you might be thinking of me sat here. And how shall they hear without someone telling them? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? How will they tell unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who Share the gospel of peace who bring glad tidings of good things my simple instruction today is this let us go in Jesus name and tell someone the good news of Jesus and about the kingdom of God let's not get worked up about it let's be natural about it Remember, no one can steal your story. They might think you're nuts. They might accuse you of needing a crutch. But the reality is no one can take from you your story. No one. And God did say, Jesus did say, go into the world and make disciples, teaching them everything I've taught you. And when he said go, he also said, lo, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. So when we go in his name, we can be assured he is there with us. Let's pray. Father God, The simple prayer was today, Lord, sometimes we've been friends with people so long, we don't want to ruin our friendship by sharing about you. It's not that we don't want to, but we just think, oh, this is so good, and if I start, maybe they'll be offended. But Lord, I want to ask you something very simple. Your believers earlier in the Acts, they said, give us courage. To speak the word of boldly and that's what I pray for us this morning Lord that you would give us courage in the places which seem open but also in the places which seem the least likely that we would have the courage to tell others about you father we come before you and we ask that you will honor what Jesus said that if we go, then you will be with us and we will know your presence. Fill us afresh with your Holy Spirit that we might go with boldness and speak to others. May we be springs of living water that bring refreshing and green to parched ground. Give us eyes to see what you see when, we, when you look at people so that, Lord, we know how your heart towards them. So, Father God, we ask that you, in this next week, will help us to honor you, to proclaim good news everywhere we go, everywhere where we have opportunity. For we ask it in Jesus' name, and that you might receive all the glory and all the honour. Amen.